This is the Banintree's Possibility Podcast, where we sit with changemakers and frontline disruptors and shift the direction of Compass to a world with brighter possibilities. The podcast features the journeys of some of the most incredible minds of our time, humans who have reclaimed the narrative and found a solution-driven way of seeing sustainability and life purpose. In this podcast, we envision the possibilities of the planet 100 years from now, and I'm your host, an award-winning storyteller, world traveler, and TEDx speaker, Mukul Bhatia, currently speaking from Bali, Indonesia. And in this episode, we have one of the most incredibly important young voices on record today, Melati Visjan. Honored by Time Magazine as one of the most influential teens in the world right now, Melati is a 21-year-old full-time changemaker and co-founder of the Bye Bye Plastic Bags. She has spoken on world stages such as the UN and TED, along with being Forbes 30 Under 30. Recently, Melati has co-chaired the World Economic Forum's GPAP committee and had her film, Bigger Than Us, premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, which is a crucial documentation of youth activism across the globe. Melati is creating an important dialogue and toolkit for young changemakers in Bali and beyond. A huge welcome on the podcast, Melati. How are you in this moment of time and how's life? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. And hi, everyone. Um, life from Bali feels pretty special. I'm every day waking up and feeling uh, the most immense gratitude to be able to call Bali home. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling good today. Bali is truly a blessing, especially around this time where we're not locked in the city and we're actually having nature around us. So I truly feel grateful to be in Bali as well. I recently, while I was stumbling on your work, I saw how cohesive your family was. I think it was your birthday and it was just so nice and heartwarming to see you with your family. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, so I turned 21 uh, over the weekend and uh, I have the biggest smile on my face right now because I am just so spoiled to be surrounded by such deep love um, from my parents, from my family, um, from my friends. Uh, it's really, uh, I'm, I'm just so lucky. And again, I'm, I'm just really grateful. Um, but, you know, being 21, it also marks a, a pretty big change or shift, I feel, um, having started my activism and my change making journey when I was 12 years old. Now being 21, it just, I can't, there's so many different kind of feelings and emotions going through me right now, you know, from like, oh, I'm not anymore um, considered like a, 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 a teenager on the front lines. I'm now a young adult. What does that mean? Lots of questions. I'm a very serious person you'll soon come to find during our conversation. Well, while age is a number, needless to say that your work really shouts that it's serious and you've achieved some great heights at a very young age, which is quite commendable. But at the same time, do you sometimes feel at 21 you could be doing a little more lighter work? Like mm -hmm. when I was 21, I was a war journalist and I used to get these projections that okay, maybe I should have more fun. And I was always feeling like, am I missing out on something? Do you sometimes get that? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it's very overwhelming, but at the same time, um, something that's that's good to know about me is the way people have always described me um, is that I'm an old soul in a young body. Mm. And, um, you know, we are very serious about the work that we do and myself in particular, but I think that there is also um, no other kind of, um, future or present that I could imagine or picture for myself than doing exactly what I'm doing. Um, and so that's really where I can say that I feel complete content, um, 
in, in the work that I do and the career that I've built and the life that I've created for myself. So um, there are days where, you know, it's a, it's more challenging than the others. But I think because my activism and my change making is fueled by love and the source is love, I can continue for the rest of my life. Incredible. I mean, you're 21. You've already had almost 10 years of experience doing what you love. You feel aligned. You you talk mm-hmm. like someone who has found the, the way to go about. But I'm sure this is not how you were when you were young, when you started it. Was yeah. there like a frontier moment when you decided that this is what it is for you? The- mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there, there were many moments. Um, and you know, growing up here on the island of Bali, there's so much beauty. And I've, I've talked about that for a good chunk of time. But there's also another side of the reality, which is a lot of um, challenges that are so in your face. And the problem that stuck out, stu- stood out the most for me was uh, plastic pollution. You know, as I was growing older, so was the problem of plastic pollution. It was growing bigger and bigger, and it was just everywhere. Um, you know, to the point where we would spend weekends at the beach swimming or surfing with friends and we'd be paddling with plastic everywhere. Or we'd have a lesson at school learning how to plant rice in the rice fields and we were planting it on top of uh, plastic. So for me, you know, all of these uh, moments, collection of moments is kind of what led me and my sister at 10 and 12 years old to say, okay, what are we going to do about this? Because we just simply did not want to accept the fact that we were growing up in a plastic world. So yeah, the rest is pretty much history. And um, without really a plan or, or a strategy or, you know, knowing how to put a business plan together or a campaign strategy together or a budget, um, my sister and I started to rally people around us. And it started off with our closest friends, you know, hosting team meetings every snack time and lunchtime during school breaks. And uh Slowly but surely, we became one of the largest youth-led NGOs in the country. Wow, that's super, super impressive. But when you were 12, did you did you imagine this is where life would be? This is what you would be doing for the next 10 years? Or were you in the moment and just letting things happen, especially in your early stages? Because there's so many people who are trying to start and they don't know where to begin. Um, was, there, was there a sense of like awareness that 10 years down the line these are my milestones or you just were there in the moment and just going ahead with some plan and then just you found your own way how was it for you um (laughs) it's really fun for me to think back to those times because I think those were like some of the best years of my life to be honest Mm. it was so much fun um and what's really important to know as well is that when we started I didn't even know what the word change maker or activist meant. I had never heard of it before. I never really kind of considered myself to be one or want to be one. It was just as simple as seeing what was happening around, you know, my space in my world, in my area, in the village that I grew up in, in the surrounding areas, and and feeling like, you know, if I can do something every single day that contributes to positive change, that for me is a life of success. And again 12 years old right it was as simple as that and so my sister and I kind of broke down the big problem of plastic pollution and narrowed it down to the use of plastic bags because we immediately thought you know plastic bags is something that we would use right and if we have the power to say no to it and change that imagine the inspiration we could lead for thousands of people to stop saying uh, to start saying no to single-use plastic bags so for us it was really um this small idea but a very clear vision 
of creating a plastic bag free Bali. And um, yeah, it felt exciting. It felt very, uh, probably the most carefree I've ever been because it felt like I was marching forward for something bigger than myself, bigger than one idea, but building this momentum and this movement of people on the island of Bali. Wow, I wish I was there. I wanted to see this. It just sounds so exciting that at 12, you just like woke up and were like, sister, let's just go point things down and just like start. And then you just kept going, right? You just kept going with it. Or did you take a break? Or did you just like, you were just like, this is my path. This is it. This is what I want to do. And this is how I feel aligned. And you just like, things just happened along the way, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think it's important as well to share, you know, my sister and I, we have really supportive parents. Um, my mom is uh, Dutch, my dad is Indonesian, um, and we were born and raised on the beautiful island of Bali. So my parents coming from two totally different cultures and backgrounds suddenly created this world um, and this space for my sister and I to um, explore and go on adventures and you know create a world where we felt we could be our most authentic self. And I think because of the way we were brought up, so immersed in nature, you know, growing up on a boat, living in a house with a tree growing in the middle of it, um, surrounded by rice fields and hearing the ocean on the every time we would go to sleep and wake up in the morning, you know, I think that really built character and platform for me and my sister to kind of always go out there if we believed in something and work really hard to achieve it. So I think that that's kind of where my sister and I would always start off with projects like uh, building tree houses or, you know, organizing a village bazaar or, uh, you know, kind of pulling all the kids together and giving English lessons, for example. Like we were always at a very young age, kind of uh, very projects-based, very hands-on, because we just simply loved activating and organizing. And it was just a sense of community that we loved putting together. Um, so bio-plastic bags, for my parents at least, were really just another like, oh, it's another one of their ideas, you know, and they supported. And the thing that my parents did really well is never underestimate mm. us or talk to us on a, on a like belittling tone. Mm. You know, they were really always like, okay, that's, that's an amazing idea. So what's next, you know? And my sister and I would always just kind of um, be, uh, what's the right word? Um, Like propelled. uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but just like kind of um, encouraged to always take us ourselves seriously. Mm. Um, And I think that that as a kid is the best gift you can give. That truly is. But how do you deal with your everyday reality? Because I think that there's so much mystification of life of an activist, especially in the algorithmic world where most people actually believe that being an activist is basically putting Mm. content out there, getting your likes and sharing, and that's going to change the world through like unknown mediums. So how is it that you, as as a frontline worker, as someone who has been there, done that, uh, seen different sides of reality, how is it that you translate your vision uh, what are the hardship that you face in translating it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your everyday realities? Because so many of the people who will be listening to this podcast would want to be in your shoe, yeah. would want to be in a space where they want to make a difference. Yeah. And most people don't know how to go about it. Um, how do you think uh, one shall, first of all, start? And where are the challenges? Where are the challenges personally in your life that you face? Um, mm. um, yeah, this is a this is a good, great question. Um, I think. A hardship in all of our uh, work at one stage for young change makers is this feeling of of aloneness. You know, um, there are so many of us out there doing incredible work, but 
at some stage in our own communities, in the field that we're working on, uh, it can get incredibly lonely and frustrating as well because um, change doesn't happen as quickly as we want it to. Um, I've experienced this multiple times. Like I've said, I started when I was 12. I'm now 21. That for me is, you know, on one side, it's a huge, on one side, it's a huge accomplishment. And on the other side, it's incredibly sad (laughs) because so much of my life has gone towards uh, trying to change the status quo or trying to, you know, mobilize uh, mass change that just still isn't taking place. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of us feel that uh, on the front lines, uh, this frustration, this aloneness. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's something that uh, I felt personally all throughout my years of activism, still today, but uh, through the new project, Utopia, um, you know, we're, we're creating a platform for young changemakers, the headquarters of young changemakers. And, you know, I'm really, 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 really blessed to say that I can work with now over 200 individual young changemakers every single day who have their own projects and their own track record of change. And this is what my source of hope is today. I can, I can see that young people today are leading by example and not waiting for permission, but it's also a platform where we can honestly have conversations and learn from each other and learn from our experiences and keep going. If you want to have an off day or you need to rest and recharge, there are so many of us that are going to do the work while you kind of sit back and focus on yourself before coming back stronger than ever. Wow. I love how you put it, by the way. I just have to like give you on that. It's like the way you put things to perspective and the way you actually align your words and visions. And also it's almost as if there is a way of life that you have curated for yourself and you have somehow channelized that way into, into the life you've built, into the structures you've built around the work you do. And that's incredible. Like there is, there's a strategy to it. There's a structure to it. There's also this philosophy and a life existence to it. And that's, that's, that's very beautifully combined. And I don't know if people who see your work and people who see the, the structures you've built and the work you've done, I don't know if they're able to see this, but as I see you from fly by plastic to utopia to, to the work that you're doing in Ireland in real life, it's, mm-hmm. it's incredible that uh, you don't just live by the dock. You actually just, uh, philosophically curate the talk and at the same time curate the work and it's all aligned that's yeah. that's stupendous well thank you very much that's really nice to hear I'm, uh, I'm glad it comes across um so eloquently because there are days where I'm like oh I don't even know if what I'm saying makes sense but I'm really really grateful to have heard that thank you it's a pleasure and it's truly heartfelt uh when it comes to having this this conversation about you know loneliness and how you deal with it in everyday life especially as you mentioned change making is not a one-day job and i think most mm-hmm. people especially on internet it's like we press to like why is the job happening versus real life being on the front line where you're actually there and you're doing it and you're you're, you're seeing the scope and the scale of how much more there is to do so i'm mm-hmm. sure it must be uh it must be quite I don't know, uh, at times disheartening and at times uh, definitely like you're on the path, but, but I'm sure life beats you down and everybody goes through the ups and downs. Where and how is it that you find your harmony, especially the integrated harmony? How do you find your inner world and outer world cohere and you, you, in the world that we inhabit, especially on the harder days? Mm. Well, maybe I can, I can take you on the journey of what it was like to film Bigger Than Us because um, that's a, it's a documentary, a 90-minute feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, covering 
seven different young changemakers and their work that they do. And I had the absolute honor and huge privilege at the age of 18 to lead the film, um, meeting all of these young changemakers and taking the audience through my eyes as a young changemaker myself and learning about all these different issues. And myself as, you know, I considered myself going in there as like an environmental activist, only focusing on the environment and plastic pollution. And I, I have to say my plastic bubble bursted, right? Um, mm. I was learning about uh, the refugee crisis. I was meeting, um, you know, change makers in uh, Lebanon, in Lesbos. And then I was going to Malawi and learning about the struggle that girls have to access education or, you know, child marriage and, and um, so many different issues that I had, you know, I was aware of, but just didn't see or hear or experience to the extent that I did during the filming of Bigger Than Us. And that was simply because I was there and I saw it. Um, everywhere I went in all these locations, it just it was a totally different world. And as an 18 year old, I was also very burnt out. I really hit a, a low part in my life. Um, and then on top of that, I was traveling the world and, and filming this documentary. And uh, there were moments where exactly as you said, you know, I was feeling this super disheartening moments uh, every single day, like, oh, there's so much to do. And why is not many? Why is no one else caring about this? But then there, on the other hand, I was also meeting these incredible uh, frontliners who were doing and creating massive impacts. And so there was this like, silver lining and this very big balance. But at the end of the trip, you know, we would spend several days on site with them and I would go home. And the only way that I was able to manage all of these emotions, all of these new experiences was to come home, arrive at the airport, get picked up by my family, come home to a home cooked meal. And the entire dinner, I would just speak. And I would just talk and talk and talk and talk. And I would tell stories. I would uh, share all of my experiences. And it was kind of like my family would not say a single word. And they mm. would just all sit there listening to me debrief, sort of, kind of downloading and unloading all of this, you know, emotions onto them. And to be honest, that's the only thing that ever has kept me afloat. Um, I'm mm. very, very gifted with being able to articulate how I feel. Um, and so having, you know, a family that is always there to listen has helped me kind of be able to process and continue. Hmm. Wow, beautiful. It's almost like having a journal, but, but yeah. your own people, your own yeah. safe sanctuary <laughs> of, you know, processing. Uh, exactly. A huge part of programming this show uh, was to focus on the possibilities of what mm. we can do in the current moment and what we can do 100 years from now to change. Yeah. And being a youth icon, being someone who's changing things, uh, right. empowering the youth and trying to create a systemic change. If you could change something big on the systemic level, what is it that you would like to shift mm -hmm. and you think would really shift the narrative of change making that could result in a better world and a better planet? Mm, I think definitely because of the work that I'm now focused on doing with Youthtopia, which is really a lot about peer-to-peer -peer education and um, youth empowerment coming from young change makers to each other, is... Um, is really my my big wish and what we're working towards right now is uh hoping to work with 
government departments and the education ministry to change national curriculums. I think we need to start changing this industry. It's it's one I think that is also far too little talked about and definitely no change happening. I think we have a lot of uh, grassroots teachers on their own who are trying to change classrooms, but I think it needs to be on a much more systemic uh, level. Uh, every single student should be learning about the challenges and the relevant issues that are happening in our world, and yet also be given or paired with the solutions, or at least asked to think creatively or outside the box. We need to start thinking about how we can raise a generation of change makers. And I think at the moment, with the current traditional education system, we're not fostering a generation to ask our own questions, to think creatively, to think critically. And I think it's a massive missed opportunity because our generation is aching for these skill sets, is asking how can we get involved? And the most time we spend uh, is in classrooms. And we're, we're having, we're seeing a lot of young people at this stage, you know, after school's finished, then going to look for um, resources and learning materials of how, you know, to become a better public speaker, how to um, mobilize masses, how to uh, speak to government or, you know, reach to reach government. And I think um, that's really the work that we're doing at Ethiopia is focused around providing these lessons. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, curriculums and what we're doing in school from, you know, eight to three, it needs to include this type of these type of learnings. It's just it's just the world we live in at the moment. And is there a everyday reality or an everyday misconception that you kind of feel like changing, especially uh, as a young change maker to other young change makers who are listening to this? Is there something that you'd like mm. to tell them, change them, a misconception or demystify something that they get to hear almost every day and you feel like you would like to address particularly that right. aspect or that question in everyday reality? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think it's about understanding that it's not a sacrifice. I think this is something that I'm reflecting actually quite a lot on since I've turned 21 because my so-called childhood is officially like kind of a past now, if you would, if you'd like. Right. And one of the, most frequently asked questions is always like, you know, um, Melati, like, do you feel like you've sacrificed your childhood or, you know, do you feel like it's a loss? And, um, I think that's a flawed question because, yeah, sure, we're not doing, you know, a normal childhood of sleepovers and slumber parties or whatnot, but I think that we should celebrate young people taking themselves seriously and activating and creating and driving forward with solutions. So I think, um, first and foremost, it's recognizing that if you want to create change and if you want to mobilize, um, recognize that it's not a sacrifice, that it's just a new way of life. And I think that that, you know, it's, it comes back to intention, right? You have to be willing to get involved for the right reasons. Um, and then, I think another really big lesson that I've learned that I can share with anyone who wants to get started is, you know, you can't do it alone. You need to surround yourself with people who are like-minded, but who can also challenge your ideas and help bring them to reality. And the role of community is, do you think is the, one of the most important roles mm -hmm. in, in change making? Or do you think that there are other aspects as such? Um, I think, 
I think community is one of the biggest ones. Um, at Utopia, we have the Circle of Youth. This is a network of all young changemakers around the world. And this community is literally, I have a wall in my office that I'm looking at right now um, of everyone uh, you know, on that wall uh, with the work that they're doing. And I'm just, this is every day I'm looking at this and I know that I can continue with the work, right? Um, so I think the aspect of community, the aspect of being, uh, having that comfort that I'm able just to, you know, if I'm having a difficult time or if I can't make a decision about a certain campaign or project, I can literally pick up the phone and ask one of these incredible young change makers for advice. I could ask them for help. I could ask them um, for ideas, if they have any input. Um, I think community is the only thing as a species that we need in order to survive. Because at the end of the day, we know that if we want to achieve change, we cannot do it on our own. And communication is a huge part of building a community. And while you're taking so many different, big, larger leaps in your work, uh, there's this whole new wave of a shift in the younger identity. The narrative is changing really fast and young people are taking things in their own hand. And personally, I love doing that. But considering you're working with systemic uh, level things, uh, I want to ask you, is it harder uh, to be taken seriously as a young person, especially because there has never been a moment in time where young people yeah. have so actively, vocally, um, and compassionately taken things in their own hand. So do you feel that sense of challenge that comes? Do you think age is really something that comes in between you and the purpose and the goal you're trying to achieve? Yeah. Um, well, the tagline of the my newest company is serious about change. So... <laughs> I think that says something um, because, yeah, starting at 12 and having my 10-year-old sister kind of side by side on stage in every meeting room, everywhere we went, we were always met with, oh, so cute. Keep going, girls. This is so inspirational. And yeah, of course, you know, it, it's it, it's positive, but there is also something where, you know, at one point, I think with my sister and our team full of young change makers, mm. we weren't really going for cute. So I think that that kind of was also fuel for us to keep going, keep showing up, not give up and until the job was done. And that's a big reason as to why I'm still here. But now that I'm entering, you know, my early adulthood, I'm also building Utopia to be that long term lasting platform for as many young change make or young people to feel like they can learn how to be young change makers too. Right by providing those tools, by providing those lessons from other young people who came before them or are the same age as them, and passing that on through programs. It's a bit like passing the journey, but how do you see the world? How do you see the planet like 100 years from now, especially with so many different narratives coming in on the internet, so many people taking things and kind of having a very diverse mm -hmm. set of like ideas? Where do you personally envision the world? What are the possibilities of the world 100 years from now as per you? Oh, I'm excited. When I think about 2021, I am excited because I see the possibilities of what our generation, I see the solutions that our generation already today are implementing. Um, so I'm very optimistic. But I also think, you know, when I'm thinking about the future, sometimes it's funny because I think back in time, not to like the stone ages or like, you know, giving up electricity or making a fire to cook food, nothing at all like that. But I do think about this beautiful way of life that the Balinese um, have, which is called Trihitakarana. It's not part of, it's not a religion or anything like that. It's simply a, a way in life where um, we live in harmony with the natural world around us, with the community around us, and with the spirit within. So this is true balance. And 
somewhere along the lines, I do feel like we lost this, and not only on Bali, but as a global society, you know, where there's this massive imbalance, this almost destruction upon us that we're causing for ourselves because we're falling out of this balance, right? We're not respecting Mother Nature. We're not respecting each other. There's the more than ever massive divide between all of us. And we don't have self-love. We don't appreciate our learnings as an individual. And therefore, that self-awareness isn't there in order to grow. So I think that Trihita Karana, going back to this, achieving this, hopefully sooner than 100 years from now. But definitely when I think about 2021, Oh, well, 21, 21, um, you know, this balance I see as being restored. So future, as per you, involves going back in time and honoring what we had, what we have. And uh, I think that's also a sustainable practice. That's, mm. what, that's what the mantra of sustainability is, to basically question before consumption. And I think uh, that's, that's where you think the future of 2121 should lead. Yeah, but I think it's also... Um, you know, a lot, also, so, so when we talk about sustainability, um, everybody always thinks it's a sacrifice or that we have to really, really give up the way of life. But actually, in turn, I think there's so much innovation at the moment that makes life better if only we choose it to be. So I think it's about making everybody excited about these innovations, about the technologies, about, um, you know, simple technologies, even like planting trees, right? It's just, we have to start understanding the long-term and bigger picture um, because I think our, our society at the moment stands way too much on short-term gratification and materialistic value, but that's time. That's for another podcast. I appreciate how you put sustainability as an innovation, as a future-forward, mm-hmm. future-bent practice that that is an upgrade to life rather than a sacrifice Uh, but more often than not as we point fingers towards organizations and what is it that a person could do and especially since you have a toolkit for everything uh, on an individual level people want to make a difference and I know so many who want to make a difference but they don't know how to is there a practice that Mm -hmm. you follow yourself to kind of add to life personally well um, I'm a big believer in this bubble idea so you are one person and think of it that you are only responsible for one meter around you. And imagine that you're walking around everywhere you go, you have this bubble, one meter around you everywhere you go. And your responsibility is only to make sure that everything in the one meter around you, wherever you go, is safe, happy, clean. You know, that I think would make the world so much better. Imagine how we would treat each other. Imagine how we would treat the nature. And we're breaking it down by just what is around us. Suddenly, this roadmap of 2121 doesn't seem so difficult at all. And I think it's about really um, trying to break it down because I think there's a lot of overwhelm at the moment, or even when we think about next year or tomorrow. But let's break it down and just think about all you have to take care of is this one meter bubble everywhere you go. Wow. 
<laughs> that is genius. One meter bubble. Mm-hmm. I'm going to implement that. I, I'm just going to like look around my one meter. I'm looking around right now. And there's a lot of clutter that I want to change. So that's <laughs> a great approach to act, own the authority and own that one meter to start small and, but to do it well. And I always believe that yeah. it's better to do something small, but doing it well rather than doing too many things and not doing it well. So that's exactly. so very well put. And how do you implement that one meter theory in your personal routine and personal life? Well, um, it's just really about being aware about, you know, even things like the food you're consuming or the way you're speaking to your friends or your team. Um, uh, you know, it's really about the small things that really add up. Um, so I'm, I'm still learning how best to apply that for my own health and my own, uh, timetable. But, uh, when it comes to the environment, you know, refusing single use plastic, consuming uh, a, a vegetarian vegan diet, uh, the way I'm, you know, talking to the team and setting to do lists. I'm very, de- I'm a very demanding person sometimes. Mm. Um, but you know, it's, it's about really, um, paying more attention to how you move through life. And I think that it's a beautiful practice also to get grounded and really self aware about a lot of the things. And I think that through the self awareness, we're able to navigate so much easier and so much clearer through life and whatever we want to achieve. Hmm. And how do you practice self-awareness? How do you actually start that journey? Hmm. Well, I think it's, it for me, my self-awareness has really been practiced uh, through my articulation, just speaking as I shared, like the dinner table conversations didn't just start when I came home after filming on set, right? Um, I'm really, really lucky. I always actually, one of my, the questions I always get asked is like, you know, what did your parents do to raise you? And my answer is always very simple. It's dinner table conversations. Every single night we would have dinner around the table and my parents would ask us the simple question of how is your day? And my sister and I would exchange so many stories about the day. Um, but that practice of just reflecting has made, um, me so aware at a very young age about my emotions, how I behave, how I navigate difficult situations. Um, so talk, 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 share your experiences with, it can be anyone, literally, you know, your partner, uh, your best friend, or go public and write blogs or video yourself talking and share it on YouTube. Um, and the next one uh, for me as well is I write, I write a lot. I love writing. Um, so I try and every morning before I wake up to write at least one page of anything that comes out of my head and trying not to judge myself is a big practice um, that I'm newly trying and implementing. Um, but I think, you know, letting go of your judgment to yourself also helps letting go of judgment for other people. And in turn, you're a lot clearer in your mind about who you are and what you want to achieve. So yeah, that's a little bit of life tips from Mel. (laughs) (laughs) Noting that down right now as you talk. Uh, And it's definitely a work in progress. I'm not preaching that this is something I do very well, or I'm, you know, spotless in, in this, but it's something that I really try very hard to keep and, and to make sure that it's a practice that I'm doing on a sustainable manner. But there are days where I just completely Uh, flip and you know forget about doing all of this and then it's very imbalanced yeah 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 but i think you we all have to give ourselves a chance to have bad days because 
we are yeah. not machines. We are humans. We exactly. are we are a few chemical components. So yeah, we all can mess up a little bit sometimes. And I think that it's all about getting back on the track rather than staying in the loop of you know oh I messed up. So yeah, I totally agree right. on that. And I, I I had such a great time talking to you. There's so much I learned. I was actually noting those things down for myself, and I was like, wait, this is my recording. I can actually just <laughs> access it. So that's great. There's so much wisdom in your words, Melati, and I'm so glad uh, that you've nailed things in life and you're on the process and you understand that there's more to come and you're just letting it unfold instead of letting the anxiety of your future walk in. So congrats on being you. Thank you so much. It was so much fun talking to you. I really appreciate all of your um, the questions and uh, I, I had a great time sharing everything with you today. It felt like a really amazing way to get my day started. So thanks for having me. Incredible. It was a pleasure. I can't wait to actually see you soon. Today we are shooting Melati at her studio, which is going to be out there soon when we release this podcast. So thank you everyone who was actually part of this conversation. And I can't wait to share this, the amazing stuff that Melati is doing. And well, yeah, see you next time in the next episode.